Africa rise and shine Africa tola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency is 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabi Solohogo and Figilele Nwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Oscar Pastoria is to be sentenced today for murdering his girlfriend. UN envoy says Central African Republic needs more support and Kenya says Israel is a critical partner in Africa's fight against terrorism. In economics, India to import pass pulses from Mozambique through government channels and in sports news South Africa's Olympic body president excited about team South Africa but first up the news with Amanda Machaka thank you Lulu good morning President Robert Mugabe's government has ordered citizens to go about their normal business as tensions rise ahead of calls for a national shutdown in Zimbabwe. Acting Information Minister Joseph Made told State ZBC Radio that government continues to make it clear that all citizens, in particular civil servants, should continue to go about their normal business across the country. Calls for a shutdown have been growing on the back of protests in the capital Harare on Monday and the Bybridge border post on Friday. There have been threats on social media against schools and businesses that refuse to close their doors. Meanwhile, civil society in Zimbabwe is calling on victims of human rights abuses by the state to come out and make official reports. Nixon Nigazino of the Citizens Collective Voices for Social Change explains. We are saying that the responsibility of uh, the state is to protect uh, the citizens. Once the state is tamed against its own citizens, then it becomes a responsibility of the institutions that are formed constitutionally under the Paris principle. Take, for instance, the Human Rights Commission to investigate such uh, human rights violations, particularly those that took place in Epworth. What we are simply saying as civil society is that it will be very difficult for the police to investigate itself because they are the perpetrators. And as a result, we are calling upon the victims uh, or those who have been beaten up by the police in Epworth to come forward. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel and Kenya should work hand-in-hand against terrorism. Netanyahu was speaking in Nairobi on Tuesday during the second leg of his four-nation Africa tour. On Monday, the Prime Minister visited Uganda to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the Israeli raid on Entebbe Airport, in which his brother Yonatan was killed rescuing hostages held by German and Palestinian hijackers. Netanyahu is due to visit Rwanda this Wednesday day before traveling to Ethiopia. James Shmanula reports. 
The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, has used his one-day visit to Kenya to meet President Kenyatta as well as pro-Israel Kenyan Christian leaders and also took part in a meeting of Israel and African businessmen and women in the capital Nairobi. The express purpose of the meeting was to encourage joint Israeli-African enterprise. Netanyahu has made history as the first Israeli prime minister to visit Kenya. Algerian President Abdelaziz Bouteflika has made his first public appearance in a year to mark the 57th anniversary of Algeria's independence from France. The wheelchair-bound 79-year-old who suffered a stroke in 2013 that impeded his mobility and speech was shown on state television visiting El Alia Cemetery where independence fighters are buried. Bouteflika, a former officer in the National Liberation Army, joined prayers alongside government officials, lawmakers and the head of the Veterans Association. The visit to the cemetery in, in an eastern Algiers suburb was Bouteflika's fourth since his re-election to a fourth term in April 2014. Former South African Paralympian and convicted murderer Oscar Pistorius will know his fate this Wednesday. Judge Togazila Masipa is expected to sentence him in the High Court in the capital Pretoria. The state is looking for the minimum sentence of 15 years, arguing that Pistorius fails to show remorse for his actions. In February 2013, Pistorius shot and killed his girlfriend River Steenkamp at his Pretoria home. Norma Bolani reports. Prosecutor Harry Nell argued that Pistorius failed to show remorse for his actions. He raised the fact that the Blade Runner's failure to testify in his sentence hearing but managed to give a tell-all interview with the British TV channel was proof of this. Nell also submitted that the interests of society should be taken into account and that an appropriate sentence would serve as restoration of public confidence in the courts. Nell argued that the manner in which Stiencom died and the effects of her death on her family were further aggravating factors. Nell also submits that the country's prisons were well-equipped to accommodate Pistorius' physical disability and his psychological disorders. And finally, Egyptian investigators say audio from the cockpit voice recorder of the Egypt air flight that crashed in May shows that pilots attempted to put out a fire on board. The investigators say the recordings were consistent with data previously recovered from the plane's wreckage that showed heat fire and smoke around a bathroom and the avionics area. The flight from Paris to Cairo crashed into the Mediterranean, killing all 66 people on board. The pilots made no distress call and no militant group has claimed to have brought the aircraft down. Investigators say no theories, including terrorism, are being ruled out, especially since it is rare for a major fire to break out so suddenly. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. Convicted murderer Oscar Pistorius could find himself 
back in jail serving a lengthy sentence. That's according to criminal law experts. Today, Judge Togozile Masipa is expected to hand down judgment in sentence in Pretoria's High Court. Pretoria's defense team argued last month for a non-custodial sentence, while the state is looking for the minimum sentence of 15 years behind bars. The former athlete shot and killed his girlfriend, Riva Stankamp, in February 2013. Noma Bolani reports. Chairperson of the Law Societies of Northern Provinces Criminal Law Committee, Llewellyn Kerr-Lewis, says Judge Togozile Masipa will most likely work within the parameters of the Criminal Law Amendment Act, which is applicable in this case. He says unlike Oscar Pistorius' first sentencing hearing, where the judge had a wide spectrum to work from on the culpable homicide conviction, the murder conviction has more limitations. Kerr-Lewis says if Masipa's judgment deviates too much from the minimum sentence, and the scene is too lenient, the state could apply for an appeal. She cannot deviate from that materially because if she do so, obviously Gerinel uh, will immediately appeal against the sentence and say, but listen, that is also uh, unjust. Uh, she did not comply with what is required from her in law. So therefore, unlike the last time around, where she had literally a very, very wide, unlimited, basically, discretion in terms of Section 276 of the Criminal Procedure Act, this time around she's bound by the Minimum Sentencing Act which comply, uh, compels her to hand down 15 years to 20, uh, unless, like I said, there's the, uh, substantial and compelling evidence. The state is hoping to secure a minimum sentence ruling. Prosecutor Harry Nell argued that Pristorius failed to show remorse for his actions. He raised the fact that the Blade Runner's failure to testify in a sentence hearing, but managed to give a tell-all interview with the British TV channel, was proof of this. Nell also submitted that the interests of society, as well as the Stenkamp family's pain, should be taken into account. The deceased lost the most valuable asset she ever had, this is her life. She can never walk in court, my lady. We argue that the minimum sentence of 15 years ought to be imposed. If, however, my lady, this court will find substantial and compelling circumstances that the court would feel justify a lesser sentence, we argue for long-term imprisonment. Pistorius' defense team highlighted his physical and emotional vulnerability as factors to try and persuade the court to deviate from a lengthy imprisonment term. They argued for a non-custodial sentence, submitting that the former athlete would be better suited serving a community through charity work. Lawyer Barry Rue argued that Pistorius is being punished continuously as he's still being vilified by society and lives with the guilt of killing his girlfriend. Accused has paid from the minute he fired the shots and will pay for this for the rest of his life. It's not going away. He lost his future with his chosen loved one. He has paid physically, losing his health. He has paid emotionally. We say he's a shell of the man that he was. We know in the evidence, not only by Professor's calls, but also the pastor. And it was, the pastor was never challenged on that. He's a broken man. Kerr Lewis says from arguments submitted by the defense, there isn't enough compelling evidence that should persuade Judge Masipa to hand down a non-custodial sentence. Uh, that's why he tried to persuade the court of uh, Oscar's vulnerability, because that is a, obviously a very important factor. And that could be the determining factor for her to decide, well, I'm going to deviate from the prescribed minimum sentence. Uh, and, and that can assist her uh, in, in handing down a lighter sentence. Although I do, do not think that personally speaking, that uh, Barry Rue uh, provided the court with sufficient evidence to materially deviate from what is expected by the legislature. So if she hands down a sentence, anything between 11 and 14 years, 
that should be spot on. Criminal defense lawyer at BDK attorneys Or Khru says there's a possibility that Pistorius might serve a minimum of six years in jail. He says there's a likelihood that the Blade Runner could receive a short custodial sentence coupled with community service and or a suspended sentence. Ru says there's numerous mitigating factors Judge Masipa must take into account. So I do think that she will take the following factors into account and that is obviously that Oscar Pistorius has already served one year of imprisonment. He's uh, been under house arrest for almost another year. The Supreme Court of Appeal convicted Oscar Pistorius of murder, Douglas Eventualis. But in their judgment, they still said that he did not act on the evening with any hatred, malice, or vengeance when he acted in the way that he did. And thus, the argument is there that his actions do not amount to being so far removed from a culpable homicide conviction. Proceedings are expected to kick off at 10 a.m. I'm Noma Polani in Johannesburg. A Central African Republic needs direct and indirect support from the UN mission there amidst a continuing volatile security situation. Speaking at the end of a visit to the Central African Republic, Undersecretary General for Field Support, Atul Kari, said he it was important for the Security Council to give the UN mission MINUSCA an extended mandate to help stabilize the country. He also said that he would be taking a very very strong action against any UN personnel or peacekeepers found to have carried out sexual abuse following dozens of cases in recent months. Jean-Pierre Ramazani asked Kari what the UN's priorities were now for MINUSCA going forward. The Secretary General has already presented his report to the Security Council on the 21st of June outlining the results of the strategic review. This report will be debated during the month of July by the Security Council, which will then provide a new mandate for MINUSCA. I hope that this new mandate will take fully into account the recommendations which have been made by the Secretary General, including that the MINUSCA should have a longer mandate of up to 18 months to provide the required stability for this country at this phase of consolidation after elections. I hope that it will focus on DDRs, that is to say disarmament, demobilization, repatriation and reintegration, and that it will focus on the security sector reform. So what MINUSCA should do in order to change or improve for more efficiency? I think the most important thing to do is to ensure that we provide the right assistance uh, to the government because finally it is the government which is in charge. We provide the right assistance to the government either directly or indirectly. Directly through our actions on the street against the criminals, against those uh, who do not want to see stable peace, sustainable peace in this country and indirectly by participating in the provision of advice, ideas, assistance uh, to the government as it continues with its DDR and SSR programs. Uh, what are your position about the security situation in this country? You see, the security situation in this country is what I would describe as uh, volatile. So there are areas which are at peace, but there are also areas where we see a free circulation of people with arms, including rifles and semi-automatic and automatic weapons. This must stop. But this will stop at the end of a proper SSR process, and I hope that the government 
along with our support and the support of other members of the international community, would soon lay down its vision on how this SSR process and the DDR process should be undertaken. What about to combat sexual exploitation and abuse? Yeah. Uh, you know, on ACA, we have a very strong policy of zero tolerance, and I repeated this to all members of the United Nations, and I said very clearly in my meeting with them that if I find any case uh, which has been committed by a UN member, be it a military, be it police, be it the civilians, uh, I will take very, very strong actions. And therefore, I recommended that everybody has a responsibility to fight ACA, and if they see something, anything abnormal, they have a responsibility to report so that action can be taken. That was Atul Kari, Under Secretary General for Field Support in the Central African Republic, speaking to UN Radio's Jean Pierre Ramazani. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta has urged Israel to re establish its observer status at the African Union, terming the country a critical partner in Africa's fight against extremism. Kenyatta said, despite past frosty relations between Israel and many African countries, it is important for the continent to embrace new partnerships. President uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who was in Nairobi on his second leg of the African nation tour yesterday, said Israel is back in Africa and is ready to cooperate on areas of security, agriculture and water resources. Netanyahu's tour will cover Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda and Ethiopia. Sarah Kimani reports. It is the first visit by a top Israeli leader to Africa in more than three decades. It is seen as a way of reaching out to a continent that has largely limited or cut ties with Israel. Relations between Israel and South Africa's apartheid government, one of the many reasons African countries severed ties with Israel. Netanyahu's host, President Uhuru Kenyatta of Kenya, says it is time to turn over a new leaf. I think that Kenya will continue to push to see how Israel can regain her observer position at the African Union. And I believe that this is not just good for Kenya. It is good for Africa. It is good for global peace. So it would be foolhardy for one to sit back and say that faced with those challenges, that Kenya, that Africa cannot engage Israel in this particular issue. That is like an ostrich burying its head in the sand. Netanyahu agrees. Things are changing in the relations between Israel and many of our Arab neighbors. A similar change is undergoing, uh, is now undergoing uh, our relations with African countries who understand what I've just said. While Netanyahu kept off the issue of Palestine, Kenyatta made a plea for talks. We as a country continue to encourage peace talks to be held between both the Israelis and the Palestinians. Netanyahu says with the rise of extremism, the country will assist African nations in intelligence gathering in the continent's fight against terror. The practical result of our cooperation can be greater prosperity and greater security for each and every one of them. Israeli media reports indicate that the country may seek allies in African countries to reduce the Palestinian voice at the United Nations. Palestine has an unmember observer status at the United Nations. Sarah Kimani, SBC News, Kenya. I am an African. 
I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreli, Lotugel, and the sands of the Kharahati have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. I am the grandchild of the warrior men and women that incense the Kukuni land. Patriots at Tetrayon and Pepu took to battle. The soldiers Mushweshwe and Gungunyane taught never to dishonor the cause of freedom. Being part of all of these people, and in the knowledge that none dares contest that assertion, I shall claim that I'm an African. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Culture and Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Amid protests against numerous grievances in Zimbabwe, the civil society is calling on victims of the human rights abuses by the state to come out and make official reports. Zimbabweans are angry over the collapse of the economy leading to a police state, cash shortages and corruption. Opposition politicians are even finding it difficult to mobilize citizens in the country. Simon Richema reports from Harare. Following the organic and spontaneous protest in Harare Friday and Monday, the civil society organizations have called on the victims of human rights abuses in Bedbridge and Harare to make official reports to the Zimbabwe Human Rights Commission. Although some politicians have claimed responsibility for the spontaneous protest that took place in Bedbridge as well as Harare, the civil society say Zimbabweans are caught up in between a hard rock and a mountain, hence the anger. Eyewitnesses during the protest in Harare and the Bed Bridge in the past few days say youths were in the lead indicating unemployment and corruption could have sparked the riots. In Bradbridge on Friday, spontaneous protests took place on both sides of the border, leading to the closure of the busiest entry point into South Africa, whereas in Harare business came to a halt 
in the eastern suburbs on Monday. Nixon Yikadzino of the Citizens' Collective Voices for Social Change has called on victims of police beatings in Bedbridge and Arare to officially make reports to the Zimbabwe Human Rights Commission. We are saying that the responsibility of uh, the state is to protect uh, the citizens. Once the state is stained against its own citizens, then it becomes a responsibility of the institutions that are formed constitutionally under the Paris principle, take for instance the Human Rights Commission, to investigate such uh, human rights violations, particularly those that took place in Epworth. What we are simply saying as civil society is that it will be very difficult for the police to investigate itself because they are the perpetrators. And as a result, we are calling upon the victims, uh, those who have been beaten up by the police in Epworth, to come forward and uh, register their reports with the Human Rights Commission so that we as civil society can also push and lobby the Human Rights Commission to investigate such acts of uh, human rights violations. Nikadzino said what is happening in the country now is just a sign of anger and that the government should respect people's views as they express their concerns. Clearly, people might want to see this as part and parcel of uh, the emerging uh, Arab Spring in Zimbabwe. But I would hasten to argue that uh, this is an organic response that is coming from citizens due to the fact that government has failed citizens in, in a number of ways whereby they failed to pay the civil servants. So civil servants simply want their salaries in their bank accounts whereby they've removed the vendors from their selling points. The vendors simply want to be given an opportunity to sell because that is the only type of employment that is now existing in Zimbabwe. But across borders where the, the importation of uh, goods from South Africa has been banned, and that is their livelihood. They are simply saying, remove the statutory instrument and allow us to continue with our business. Same applies to the uh, owners of commuter omnibus. Same applies to, to, to the uh, uh, tax rank, uh, you know, touts. They are simply saying the police are also, uh, you know, in, in making it difficult for them to do business as transporters. Meanwhile, National Chairperson of the National Vendors Union of Zimbabwe, Sten Zorwaza, has echoed the same sentiments and called on the Zimbabwean government to stop all human rights abuses as people protest. The state security organs, especially the police, must forthwith cease to use violence on peaceful protesters. The state must uphold the rule of law and respect human rights, as enshrined in Chapter 4, chapter four of our Constitution. Immediate payment in full of civil, of civil service salaries. You cannot work and then get don't get paid. We are saying no to that. Immediate repealing of anti-people economic policies, legislation and conduct, such as National Instrument 64, we condemn that. And we want that to be repealed. And they must re reverse. Because Zimbabweans have said no. If you see Zimbabweans protesting, it means they are not happy. And this trend only shows that the government has made a wrong decision. On Tuesday, the situation remained tense with a heavy police presence such that schools in affected areas were closed. Businesses in the city opened as usual, but transporters parked their buses for fear they would be damaged because government workers have called for another national protest due to non-wage payment. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema. 
It has been a slow start to Zimbabwe's public service strike. Some, but not all, of the teachers and health workers heeded the call to stay home yesterday. This in protest over the late payment of salaries. Government has failed to pay civil servants their June salaries on time because of the shortage of money. Shinganyoka has more from Harare. Children spent the morning at one school in central Harare doing what they love best, playing, and with only the barest adult supervision. Some say they received messages from fellow parents to collect their children. It's bad. When I came in in the morning, the little one is an ECDA. I tried to look for the teacher. There was no teacher. So I just left them. Now it's 10 o'clock and they're going back home. It's poor. Learners made their way back home, as teachers say they want to send a message to government that they won't accept any further late payment of salaries. It's the first week of July and they haven't been paid their June wages in full. Health workers will only be paid on July 14th, when traditionally July salaries are due. Civil servants say they fear this could be the start of further late payments. Striking teacher Charles Mubandarikwa. We had a similar situation in 2008 where people just simply stopped going to work. The same thing can happen again. We don't want to see that happening again. This is why we had hoped that the government would engage our leadership so that we have a win-win situation. The strike is expected to last three days and was supposed to include the whole civil service. On the first day, some teachers reported for work. Others were in class but didn't teach. Some hospitals were reported to be operating without nurses and with only a skeleton staff. In the capital, most state hospitals were operating normally, but there are signs that the stay home could spread. She says, we've just been told that this school will be closed and will only reopen on Monday. I don't know why. Social media groups have called for a national shutdown of businesses and work on Wednesday. Others are threatening to destroy the properties of those who don't heed the call. The police has warned it will deal severely with anyone that causes unrest. Meanwhile, Amnesty International has already accused the state of heavy-handedness in dealing with Monday's taxi driver protests as tensions in the country continue. I'm Shingayanyoka in Harare. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Zimbabwean police say it's safe to go to work and open businesses, urging the public to disregard social media calls for the total shutdown of the country. 
Former South African Paralympian and convicted murderer Oscar Pistorius to know his fate today for shooting and killing his girlfriend River Steenkamp at his home in 2013. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu heads to Rwanda after wrapping up his visit in Kenya on Tuesday. Details on these and other stories at the top of the hour. Thank you, Amanda. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A World Summit on Migraines earlier this year noted that despite affecting a billion people worldwide, migraines remain underdiagnosed undertreated and underfunded. In South Africa, the disorder affects up to 10 million people and continues to take a huge toll on production and the economy. To talk more about this, we are now joined on the line by Julia Criscullo, a complementary medicines expert and life coach. Good morning, Julia, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Hi, Lulu. Great to be with you. Now, Julia, what's a migraine and what sets it apart from a tension-type headache? A migraine is much more intense than just a headache. A headache normally um, is like a pressure or an aching kind of pain that usually occurs on both sides of the head um, or on your forehead or your temples in the back of the neck. And it doesn't last as long as a migraine. A migraine is often... um, really, really extreme. It's a throbbing kind of pain, and it usually happens on one side of the head. And usually with a migraine, you know you're going to get one, because you get uh, something called an aura, where you have nausea, your vision gets affected, um, and you just feel off. And a migraine can often last for a long time, and you are flat out usually with a migraine. So it's much more intense. Now, why do, you do, do migraines often go misdiagnosed and undertreated? Well, essentially, the, the cause of the migraine isn't really very clear. They know it's got to do with a change in the blood flow, because normally there's a contraction of blood vessels and there's a sudden expansion of the blood vessels, which causes all the symptoms. Um, so the real cause of migraine is still not clear, but there are a lot of triggers and uh, contextual evidence to, um, uh, you know, that are linked to the migraine, um, and there's various factors involved, which I can talk about. Can you just mention a few triggers or uh, causes? Yes. Well, it could be related to, for example, um, stress. It could be not getting enough sleep or missing meals. It can often be um, if you are exposed to strong smells or tobacco smoke or otherwise extreme heat. And certain foods like cheeses, aged cheeses, chocolate, nuts, peanut butter, citrus fruit. Uh, ferments or pickled foods, um, and also to be bright lights or loud noises, caffeine as well, and even some medications can be trigger for migraine. Um, so people who do suffer with them, it's really advisable to keep like a migraine diary and just note, you know, in the preceding 24 hours, what was happening, how, what, how long did you sleep, were you stressed, what did you eat, just to make um, a record and try and find some kind of pattern in your migraine episode. Now, Julia, just mentioning the fact that finding a pattern and keeping some sort of diary with regard to the migraines, what are the best treatment ways for migraines? 
Well, this study that was done, it was a three-month trial involving 68 people in the UK, and they used a, a transdermal magnesium spray, um, which seemed to have a huge impact on them. Um, almost 70% of the um, people in the trial actually found a reduction of um, the migraine attacks. So magnesium per se is a wonderful uh, supplement that has an impact on the blood vessel flow. Um, and then over and above that, your B2 vitamins are really, really important. And also um, things like coenzyme Q10, um, fever few, uh, ginger for the nausea, ginkgo biloba for the, for the um, blood flow. These are really great things to do. And lifestyle. Um, try and manage your stress levels. Um, look at um, perhaps using, uh, you know, I'm in a complementary field, so I often go for complementary options. So I look at nutrition, I look at lifestyle, I look at supplementation, and then things like acupuncture or reflexology have also been shown to be really useful in the managing of migraines. Um, but, and, yeah, so simple things like, like magnesium and vitamin B2 can be really, really useful. Now, Julia, are there different types of uh, migraines? Um, we've heard of people who suffer from migraines and they are sort of uh, sensitive to light and need to be in a yes. dark place. Can you just yes. delve into a few of the different types of migraines that you have come across? Well, migraine per se, it's usually they, they categorize them as either a migraine with an aura or one without an aura. In other words, um, migraines where you have the symptoms appearing beforehand, like flashing lights, blind spots in your eyes, nausea. And sometimes migraines can just come on suddenly and there's no um, prodrome. Headaches more have different kinds. Headaches have cluster headaches, sinus headaches, tension headaches. But migraines per se, it's really the, the symptom picture of the migraine with or without an aura. Um, and as I said, you might find that suddenly you, you find you've got numbness in your lips um, or you, got, you can't see so well, then you're very sensitive to light and your blood pressure suddenly drops. Um, so then you know that a migraine is coming. And there are certain medications which help to prevent the, blood, um, the dilation of the blood vessels, which lands up with a whole episode. But you've got to catch it really early and intervene um, in the prodrome stage. Otherwise, once the blood vessels dilate, then it's almost too late. Now, Julia, obviously, in terms of migraines, people seem to take these very lightly. People who don't actually suffer from migraines, um, yes. I think it's it's a it's a case of not being educated about yes. migraines. What are you do What are you doing um, as as uh, experts to say um, yes? People do suffer from migraines. They are very serious. What sort of uh, um, you know? Uh, PR or, or uh, informative or educational work are you doing with regards to ensuring that people are aware that migrants do exist and, uh, you know, they can be quite severe for people who suffer from them? Yes, absolutely. If you're not a sufferer, as you said, it's difficult sometimes to empathize and understand how debilitating it is. And in fact, uh, migraines have been shown to be the eighth most debilitating condition worldwide of all the debilitating conditions. So that's how intense it is for migraine sufferer. So I suppose education-wise, just to make people, you know, be more empathic uh, to migraine sufferers and understand that it's not just, you know, a little headache to get over and just to support the person, give them a space to be able to rest, um, you know, help them in terms of uh, taking load off them and 
you know, I think the education part is also helping migrant sufferers be aware that they actually can do quite a few things to prevent attacks happening. Um, there's a lot that a migrant sufferer can do or headache sufferer. Um, so that is part of the awareness. And something as simple as just, you know, taking magnesium can be so useful because it actually, uh, you know, helps your whole body, gives you more energy, um, and also if you are more energized and stressed, you're less likely to have an attack. Julia, we have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Such a pleasure, Lou. Look forward to next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, Julia. That was Julia Chris-Kulo, a South African complementary medicines expert and life coach. Now, in other news, South Africa's ruling ANC subcommittee on communications has come out guns blazing against South African Broadcasting Corporation Management and Board. Chairperson of the committee, Jackson Mtembu, distanced the organization from developments at the SABC. The public broadcaster has been making headlines for their controversial stance on news coverage, the resignation of its acting CEO and the disciplinary action against some employees. Angela Bulona reports. We have never asked anybody in the SABC to speak for the ANC. Nobody. Nobody in the SABC represents the ANC. No one. Jackson Tembu at pains to distance the ANC from the going on, said the public broadcaster. This after acting CEO Jimmy Matthews fingered the party for a decision not to cover the economic freedom fighters ahead of the 2014 general elections. He says the party has never connived with anybody at the SABC. Mtembu also came down hard against the new decision not to show violent protests, saying if there were to be changes to the electoral policy as the governing party, they should have been consulted. When you say you that you ban, you then simply say people of South Africa must hear from you what they must see or not see. But the other unfortunate part is that you put your own journalist in an untenable position. Your own journalist. There they are. They are pursuing a story. Now, because there is a ban, there are certain parts of the story that they must not carry. I've never seen of something as unintelligent as this one. Jackson faced hard questions from journalists on which ANC he is representing. As the communication minister, Faith Mutambi, has defended the SABC's decisions and party spokesperson Zizikota was critical on those who marched against censorship at the public broadcaster last week. But Mutambi stood his ground going further to question appointments at executive level at the SABC. We have said this so many times to all ministers that were appointed to this position of communication ministry. We have said to them, you need to ensure that we have got people who know how to run an institution as big as the SAPC at the highest level. You can't bring any Tom, Dick and Harry to run such a big institution. Ntembu blamed senior management for the woes at the SABC, also questioning the board's competence. Seven journalists are going through a disciplinary process after challenging a decision not to cover protests and writing a letter voicing their concerns to the chief operations officer, Claudio Mutsweni. But the ANC was not the only organization voicing its views on the SABC on Tuesday. Both the ANC Youth League and the Communications Workers Union have thrown their weight behind Mutsweni, CWU President Clive Mervyn. We find it strange that everybody now wants an audience. They want coverage. 
And we find it strange that everybody is attacking Claudia unnecessary. They forget that, uh, for example, in ANN7, nine people was dismissed. The same media people today. That report by Angela Bulwani. Today marks the 52nd anniversary of Malawi's independence from British rule. However, as the country continues to pass through economic hardships, its ruling Democratic Progressive Party has reportedly called off this year's Independent Day celebrations. The only event for the day will be a national service of worship at the Bingu International Conference Centre in the capital, Lilongwe. Malawans have welcomed the move taken by government to deceased from spending huge sums of money on celebrations while millions of citizens need food. Tutnungobeni reports. Formerly known as Nyasa Land, Malawi proclaimed its independence from Britain in 1964. For the first 30 years of independence, Malawi was ruled by an authoritarian president, Hastings Kamuza Banda. But democratic institutions have taken a firm hold since he relinquished power in the mid-1990s. Now a multi-party democracy, the country is ruled by President Peter Mutarika, a former foreign minister, after the nation's high court rejected a request for a recount following allegations of vote rigging in the 2014 elections. Mutarika took over from former president Joyce Banda, the country's first female president and Africa's second female head of state. Malawi is a landlocked country in southern Africa, surrounded by Tanzania, Mozambique and Zambia. The population mostly relies on subsistence farming, but the food supply situation is precarious because of the climate. The nation is currently suffering from the El Nino-induced drought sweeping across the region with millions of people facing hunger and food insecurity. The situation has prompted the president to declare an emergency in the country, calling for urgent action. The country also ranks among the world's most densely populated and least developed countries. Its economy is predominantly agricultural, with about 80% of the population living in rural areas. Agriculture, which has benefited from fertilizer subsidies since 2006, accounts for one-third of GDP and 90% of export revenues. The government faces many challenges, including developing a market economy, improving educational facilities, facing up to environmental problems and dealing with the rapidly growing problem of HIV-AIDS. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tutongobene in Johannesburg. Our economics update up next with Tabi Soluhuko. It is safe to go to work and open businesses in Zimbabwe. This, according to the police who have urged the public to disregard social media calls for the total shutdown of the country this Wednesday. Messages on the social media platform have threatened violence against those who go to work or open their businesses. Several schools and businesses have issued notices that they will not be open amid security concerns. Police spokesperson Charity Charamba. In Zimbabwe, who wants to go to work should do so freely. And police will be deployed to ensure safe passage to work. Anyone found with offensive materials, such as catapults in Shona Reken, or stones matombo in their vehicles, 
will be arrested and the police will impound such vehicles. Anyone found engaging in any form of violence and blocking of roads will face the full wrath of the law. India's Telecoms Minister Ravi Shankar Prasad says that they will help Mozambique in the cultivation of pulses and import them through government-to-government deals in the coming years. India is the world's biggest consumer of pulses. Pulses are part of the legume family and refer only to dried seeds. Prices of pulses are ruling near record highs in the South Asian country as output trails supplies. The International Fund for Agricultural Development says investing more in Africa's rural areas will curb economic migration. The fund's president, Kanayo Mwanze, was addressing the African Union-European Union Conference of Ministers of Agriculture in the Netherlands. Policy analyst says the International Food and Agriculture Organization, David Schutter, explains. Uh, the majority of poor people on the continent and globally are in rural areas. About three-quarters of poverty is in rural areas. And we, we know that there are uh, still alarming gaps in rural-urban, in progress of development indicators between rural and urban areas. So, for example, rural children in Africa are twice as likely to be out of school uh, compared to urban children. That's just one example. Fishermen in Lamu County in the northern part of Kenya's coast have raised their concerns over a dawn-to-dusk ban that was imposed by government in 2011. Diana Wanyoi spoke to some fishermen. The money that we used to get after fishing at night used to help us a lot. The money helped us to educate our children, but now we have financial problems. We depend on fishing only. Fishing has been affected a lot economically. This is the third time that we are being affected when there is insecurity. The U.S. dollar trades at 14.68 to the South African rand, 10.67 Botswana Pula, 9.45 in Zambia, 7.5 British pound, 8.9 euro, gold $1,367, platinum $1,071 per ounce, brand crude $47.72 a barrel. Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee SASCOC President Gideon Sam is excited about South Africa's 2016 Olympic squad. The final day of qualifying is the 11th of July and the final team will be named three days later. SASCOC has already named a 24-man provisional squad which includes potential medalists Lusapo April, Cameron van der Berg and Chad Leclerc. Sam is also happy to see positivity all around from South Africans ahead of the Rio Games in August. Also Rugby Sevens will be announced and the final uh, 14 that will go. Uh, but uh, so far so good. Uh, there are people who are very positive about the outcome of our 
of our performance. People will feel that, look, it's, uh, we are on a better wicket this time around. We have had enough time to prepare because you will recall that when we came back from, um, from London, we immediately announced Operation Excellence that we are continuing and that uh, we will do whatever we can uh, to make things happen. So, yes, there is a lot of positive uh, uh, vibes in terms of uh, our, our performances. But I think uh, people must also understand that it is, it is always difficult because each country will do the same thing that we're doing. So you may come there and New Zealand is in a bad mood. But I think the, the guts and glory of our athletes has always shown that uh, they are able to go forward. So yes, we, we are comfortable with a, a minimum of 10 and whatever is over and above that we are, we'll be happy with. Sam says everyone should be concerned about the Zika virus in South America. Brazil has been the hardest hit of the estimated 60 countries that reported the outbreak, which could lead to paralysis and death in some cases. Some athletes, majority of them golfers, have pulled out of the multi-coded event due to their disease. To the disease, rather, and Sam adds that everyone on the traveling party knows it's also their responsibility to lessen the chances of contracting the virus. Everybody should be concerned. You know, whenever the World Health Organization gives a, a, a warning, you must take it serious. You can't say, no, it's not serious. So um, our um, athletes and our managers and everybody who's, uh, who's going to go out there and support us has been given this opportunity to, to go into what uh, they need to prepare themselves for. You know, like... Um, um, are not walking around too late in the evenings, those kind of things, you know. And that's, that has been shared with our athletes and our managers. And we continue to do that until uh, the, the last day of the competition. We have to, every day when we have meetings with our managers, we need to update them and say, this is what the health authorities are saying and so on. In football news, the South African women's national team coach Vera Power says playing against the formidable teams will help them to cope under extreme pressure for the Rio Olympics in Brazil. Banyana Banyana will play a high-profile friendly match against the United States in Chicago, Illinois, on Saturday night. The U.S. match is coming against the background of another two high-pressure matches against the Netherlands, which they both lost. Power explains why they chose to play against the world and the Olympic champions. It's going very well. It will be very tough because uh, um, they are the world champions of 2015, so this edition, and the Olympic champions reigning. So um, it will be the toughest game you can imagine. And that means that we will learn to play under their pressure. Um, that is the key thing. And from there, we need to find a way to play, uh, to go forward ourselves. If we manage, we will see, but that's what we have been preparing for. We had other options, but um, as a small nation, if you can find this opponent on this date, then you take it. And finally, with tennis news, South Africa's Raven Klassen and his playing partner Rajiv Ram are into the quarterfinals of the men's doubles event at Wimbledon. Klassen and his American partner, who are the 11th seeds, defeated the 5th seeded pairing of Ivan Dodik of Croatia and Marcelo Melo of Brazil. Klassen and Ram won in straight sets with a scoreline of 7-6, 7-3, 7-6 7-5, and finally 7-6-3. That's your Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa Oscar Pistorius to be sentenced today for murdering his girlfriend UN envoy says Central African Republic needs more support and Kenya says Israel is a critical partner in Africa's fight against terrorism. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsura Magaza and Jane Rabotata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS at Two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty one meter band to Southern Africa is Angelique Kijo with a song titled Agolo.